So remember, once you get in there, pretend like I don't care. You don't care. I don't care. There you go. You're learning, my friend. You're learning. Hey. What? Come on. What? You look great. Okay. You look. You look great. Okay. Now you're gonna go in there. Yeah. You look like a million bucks. Yeah. And you're gonna slam down. Like a lion. Yeah, don't do that, okay? Okay. Good luck. What's up, everybody, and welcome to our final Stranger Things podcast, where today we're going to be talking about the amazing three-episode run of chapters 7, 8, and 9 of Stranger Things, leading up to that amazing finale that we got in uh, episode 9, or chapter 9, The Gate. Just a warning off the bat, we're going to be discussing the whole of Stranger Things season 2, and maybe even delving into a bit of Stranger Things season 1. We're also going to be predicting what we think is going to happen in season 3. So if you don't want to hear any of that, feel free to switch off. But if you've binged it like us and love it, then get ready for it's going to be a really good podcast. So stay listening. Today, I'm joined by a man more scary than Baldo the Clown. It's our very own gruff, burly version of Hopper, John McCann. Burly? Very burly. (laughs) (laughs) Also today, we are joined by a woman known to enjoy a candlelit bath whilst reading hunky fantasy erotica. She's also known to like a bit of Billy. Her name? Emma Phillips. Hi. And today we have two guests joining us from the real world upside down. First, a person who sadly hadn't been seen since season one, chapter one, The Disappearance of Lucy Barron, but now has been rescued and possessed by the Mind Flayer, coming at us with knowledge of the Shadow Realm, our very own Will Byers, Lucy. Hey. And finally, a man, hobbit-like in stature, who we all thought could be a bad guy, but with his can-do attitude, bumbly and charming personality, and his knowledge of puzzles, has won his way into our hearts and the teeth flaps of the Demodogs. It's our very own Bob the Brain, R.I.P. Gareth Evans. Uh, Brilliant. Cheers. (laughs) (laughs) We've already done the spoiler alert, but interestingly, I'm the only one who dies, aren't I? Yeah. Yeah. So guys, we've watched the final three episodes. We've just come off the back of obviously ep- chapter nine, The Gate. Uh, I just want to get a quick canvassing of your guys' opinions of what you thought of this entire season after seeing it all in its finality. No, yeah, I, I, I loved it. Uh, emotional. Very emotional. Very. Um, but look, again, if you, if you spend most of your time watching The Walking Dead... Um, just a plug please go see our Walking Dead podcast it's very very funny Gaz I'm going to come to you next Um, I know that you were sceptical about um, the expanding of the universe with uh, season 2 and obviously you said you wanted it to be and like John just said a more sort of homely Hawkins experience but I found that with this season obviously we did slightly expand and we did bring new characters into it are you happy with what you saw? Overall Strange Things 2 absolutely loved it um, with regards to that specific concern, um, some of the the expansion of characters worked well, and other additional characters did not work so well, which I'm sure we'll we'll talk about in more detail. Um, even some of the ones in Hawkins uh, weren't the best additions. Hashtag Billy sucks. <gasps> but then. Uh, all but one of the additions outside of Hawkins was just a pointless cardboard cutout cartoon character. Um, 
which again we'll talk about we'll talk about more yeah um and lucy you've been missing for most of this season what have your thoughts been i know you have you you've you've watched obviously you want to you want to speak you've been itching to talk about it with us what (laughs) what are your thoughts about this season um overall i really enjoyed it it was very emotional i found myself in tears most of the episode but it had more flaws than the first season for me there was more um there was just characters or dialogue or storylines that I didn't think really fit with how I feel about Stranger Things with the first season. So overall, I think it was success, but with flaws, whereas with the first season, I didn't really have any issues with it at all. That's very interesting that you you think those flaws, and I'm really excited to get and talk about those and see how we can discuss them. But Em, you were quite new to Stranger Things. Um, You only watched it probably what a couple of weeks ago like you watched you binge the first season and then you've obviously binged the second season to catch up with us and be able to do this podcast from someone who hasn't been sitting on it for like a year you know maybe even doing rewatches and stuff what is your opinion of again of season one versus season two yeah so like like we said last week um i'm a late bloomer when it comes to stranger things i yeah i binge watched season one about a fortnight ago and last sunday i got up at 6 a.m to watch six episodes of Stranger Things season two. Mm. Um, I have to say, when I finished <laughs> season go. one, not having a go, just saying, you know, dedication. Commitment. I have to say, though, when I watched season one, I thought it was so perfect, it could have ended at one season. Mm. So we talked in the, the first kind of three episodes of season two on our first podcast on this about the dangers of macroizing microcosm. Yeah, I use some big words there. That's well getting done a plug me. again, is it? Yeah, yeah. God. <laughs> and Gareth agreed with me, so well, I agree with Gareth actually. Um, and I, I was really worried that season yeah. two would take it too far. Um, having said that, for seventy-five percent of the season, I think it matched, but did not top season one. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, I watched uh, the first season when it first came out, um, obviously just over a year ago, and then I rewatched to do our podcast. I rewatched season one to do our preview podcast. And on rewatch, season one was so strong, so much stronger than I remember it being. And obviously I said, and I think we all said that we're worried about how season two would do, like, you know, expanding the universe and everything that we said about that. But I really do believe that after watching this season... Uh, and rewatching the episodes for the podcast, I I just think this season is is stronger. I think this is a this is an improvement upon the first season. And now, I don't mean that in a. Everyone's going to have different opinions about that because the first season is so lovely. Like you know, you got the story. You got a story about the kids. You got a story about the kids, and it's them finding you know, you know, it's a search of discovery. It's an adventure film. It's like the Goonies, and this just opens it up to a bit bigger of a picture. But I love the dynamics that we get in this season. Mm. I love the way they've taken what they did in the first season and said, "Hey, we're not scared about you know going for it this season, and we're going to give it a real go." So it's interesting that you talk about a rewatch. So I rewatched episode seven, eight, and nine again yesterday before tonight. And um, I originally, and I won't jump ahead, but I originally thought episode seven was awful. And on a rewatch, it's actually a lot better than it, it first comes across. It's still shit, though. But it is better on a second watch, well, I think. Why don't we go on to episode seven now and talk about how uh, we think it may be one of the weakest episodes of the season, like Emma just said. Um, but I'm just going to read, similar to our last episodes, I'm going to read a brief synopsis about each episode just so that everyone can have a recap, a brief recap of what has gone on. Because as, in each episode, you know, there's quite a lot to get through. So chapter seven was called 
the lost sister. Eleven leaves her mother Terry Ives and travels to find her sister Eight, who she has visions of in the astral plane. She finds her and her gang who then take Eleven under their wing and tell her about their plan to take down everyone associated with the MK Ultra program. With the help of Eight, also known as Callie, Jane, R11, is able to harness her power more and more through channeling her anger and hate, similar to Star Wars. When they go to assassinate a man who was essentially responsible for the electrocution therapy that Terry Ives went through, Jane is unable to kill him and having visions of Mike and Hopper in danger, she flees back to Hawkins to help them. So guys, episode seven, I mean, we found that it was an episode where, you know, we sent we, we it on 11 and it was quite exciting to see her leave the Hawkins environment. You know, she's been cooped up in a prison cell and then Mike's bedroom and then a cabin. And she finally got to go out into the open world and experience elements of it, trying to find her sister. Um, what do you reckon to that episode, Em? What did you, I mean, you, you said you didn't like it. I want to know why you didn't like it on first watch. So I kind of felt like they opened the season with this glimpse of someone else from the programme, eight. Yep. And I thought, well, they're obviously going to bring her back and it's going to be a thing. Mm. Let's, we'll have 15 minutes, 20 minutes, you know, a third of an episode, finding out a little bit and either she'll become a character or she won't. And instead what we had was an entire 48 minute episode which I, like I said, on second watch, really enjoyed. And I think it's important that you expand some part of Eleven's life out into the bigger world. And I think it did... It gave Eleven herself a lot of drive and perspective, but she was able to maintain her own morals. Um... <laughs> Humanity. All right, so what I was saying earlier about cartoon characters... The, that's the problem with this episode is that it's the thing I was just talking to Lucy earlier the thing about um, Stranger Things that that we love is that the characters the boys are all so real like they they are definitely 13 year old boys that you can that you imagine would have lived in that town at that time they're so they're just they seem like real people and then you've got this episode that um that turns into like a shout out to Aaron here, Suicide Squad esque thing with just these bizarre comic book characters that aren't based on anything other than stereotypes of like eighties eighties um, misfits. Instead of feeling like you're in the eighties, like the normal episodes make you feel. You feel like you're watching a movie made in the eighties. Yeah, I think I think the issue that this episode had was that obviously it comes off the back of episode uh, six, where we have that. It's an amazing episode six. Six is an amazing episode. You know, you have that. It's called the Spy, and we have that amazing sort of alien esque scene, um, and then it leads up to the Demogorgon or Demodogs putting their hand on the rail, just where Hopper and um, not Dr. Paul Reiser, but Dr. Sam Owen uh, <laughs> are. Um, and, and, and I think coming off the back of that, you know, you're so excited to see what happens next. And I think this, the issue with it was that disconnect between that storyline and Eleven's storyline, yeah. who has felt very removed from this season. I mean, John, <clears throat> you're not one to shy away from the dis the dislike of episodes when, you, you know, when you feel something doesn't work. So what did you what? think about that? <laughs> Bizarre. Um, well, look, I mean, <laughs> I'm not going to go, I'm not going to be too brutal because uh, ultimately um, the vast majority of uh, 
the season is strong. But yeah, I mean, it feels a bit cheap to leave episode six on such a cliffhanger. Yeah. And then the next episode has got nothing to do with it. But having said that, I mean, all the episodes are released at the same time anyway. So yeah. like, I think if it was on TV or if that was the end of the season, yes, um, people <clears throat> would go fucking mental. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, may, like maybe the, uh, the the fury or the hate um, wasn't as bad. But uh, what uh, Gaz is saying about the characters being cartoon-esque, I mean, fucking spot on. Very like, spot on. I, I mean, I, I don't know what they're doing in the show. They're, like, they're, they're so removed from the rest of the like, the show. They were just shoved in to be a part of like some spin-off. And if it is a spin-off, it's going to fucking nosedive because none of them can act. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. just bizarre. So there were, bizarre. There were two parts of that episode that I really liked. One, the inclusion of Runaway, which is a banging tune. Oh, I love that song. Absolutely banging tune. And secondly, the Duran Duran transformation of Eleven. Oh, yeah, that was cool. I mean, I mean, to be fair, absolutely banging. It was nice to see Eleven... Um, Grow. Grow as a character. And, you know, she obviously found Callie in eight. So a sister character, obviously not biological, but yeah. a sister character nonetheless. She finally has some more family. So this season she's learned about Terry Ives, her mother. She's gone to see her. She has an auntie now as well that she's obviously was interacting with. And she's got Callie. So her family is growing. Not only that, she's got Hopper as a parental figure. Yeah. So her family is certainly growing. I mean, Lucy, um, did you think that the episode was potentially necessary for us? Maybe not this season, but for, fu- for the future seasons of uh, Stranger Things. Maybe, but my problem with it is that with her mum, we had seen that in the first series, so it wasn't out of the blue for her to go and visit her. Then suddenly she's having visions of this little girl, and then, oh, I found her, and she's my sister. Um, so it's a bit contrived, isn't it? Like Yeah, it's... it was it was massively contrived. It annoyed me because Stranger Things, the character development, is always really good. It has been in this season and in the previous one, and then suddenly we're supposed to care about this girl with powers that's teaching Eleven stuff. I didn't even really like the makeover. I thought... That was quite contrived, and that I think what do you call it? Um, like fan pleasing, basically. Um, it didn't really work for me, any of it. I thought she did look cool, but I think the other thing as well is from like a narrative perspective, uh, like John was touching on, you could literally skip this episode, and the only thing would be that you'd be like Hopper is later on and and you'd think, why is, she, why is Eleven wearing that stuff? 100%. Th- there's no point in watching the episode from, from a narrative perspective. I'm going to completely disagree with you there because I think there is a very important narrative point that comes out of this episode and I believe it is the driving factor behind this episode. Really? Yep. I didn't enjoy this episode. I didn't think it was bad, but I didn't... En- I mean, it, compared to other things that I watch, I think it's pretty good. But I, I just think that they missed a couple tricks. But I think there is a narrative purpose behind this episode. Eleven is growing as a character, right? And she's growing these powers. She has not had anyone, anyone in her life other than Dr. Brenner, who does not understand her powers, telling her how to, you know, use them and how to mature them and how to grow them. Similar to like the X-Men, similar to how Professor Charles Xavier started a school for gifted children and and teaches the X-Men to harness their powers and grow them, Mm. right? And what I think is important in this season and comes into fruition in episode or chapter nine um, is the fact that Callie or eight is able to teach Jane 
how to harness her power and focus on the negative things to fuel it. And that essentially, if she didn't have that training, she would not have been able to achieve her goal in the final chapter, in my opinion. So she needed someone who has relevance to her. In fact, of learning a bit older, learning how to use her powers. And I think it will be important for seasons to come for for Jane and Callie and the others to grow their powers and hopefully, you know, defeat the big bad in future seasons. Do you not think that cramming it in one episode was a bit lazy? And that was my problem. Not that she's going to develop her powers with this girl that she's met, that's her sister. I just think cramming it all in one episode and then being like, well, that's that. Now she's going to little finger it back to Hawkins was a bit... I just thought it was lazy and it didn't fit in with the development that we've seen throughout the series. So I don't have a problem with her needing to learn to control her power because everyone needs that sort of Paduan figure, but doing it all in one episode, it didn't fit in with um, Stranger Things and how well they develop everything. <laughs> yeah, I, can't, I see where you're coming from, Len. Yeah. Uh, you are wrong. But, um, I definitely but, tell you that's where they're going. That's where they're going from a narrative perspective. Yeah, if, I, if you, I, you know, it even flashes to it in chapter nine. So it's a hundred percent. I don't disagree, but again, it is lazy. There's 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 no two ways about it. Um, I mean, it, it's literally like they took that scene out of X Men First Class. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Which is why I linked it to X Men yeah, yeah, because but, I but I it's see just that. Like, come on, I, I like I like references to you know, uh, 80s nostalgia. Mm. But don't just take stuff out of other films. Like, fucking hell. Yeah. Uh, what is this? Um, it's a one whole episode that is completely out of kilter with the rest of the season. Now, I agree that there has to be, uh, in terms of, again, like if you skipped that episode and you saw Eleven uh, use her super-duper extra powers, and that, I think that's what they call it, Yeah. Uh, yeah. At, the end of, uh, at the end of the episode... You, you wouldn't be like, oh, where's she got this power from? You'd just be thinking, oh, well, you know, she's just getting better. So we kind of skirted around the issue of the fact that Eight reconjures Dr. Brenner uh, in front of Eleven and that whole scene actually is quite powerful on a second watch especially um, because there was a part of me that turned around and went, oh, I haven't really thought about the fact that he might not be dead. Well, And that why hasn't she looked for him to check? Well, she's got an in- inhibited fear of, of, of Dr. Brenner or Papa as she calls him. Um, and I think that he probably is alive. I mean, that scene, that scene, that scene with, um, that scene with eight or Callie, where she manipulates her mind to see Dr. Brenner, it, it releases a new fear within 11, you know, that she hasn't felt for a while and she probably hasn't looked for him. She, and, and she knows, you know, eight, we assume has the ability to maybe know what people are thinking, mm. has not looked for Dr. Brenner yet. And I think, I think Dr. Brenner is going to be key in future seasons, we'll come on to it later with our predictions. But I think, I think, I think it will be key in terms of finding the other children. I mean, Matthew Modine is is amazing, but we said this before in the season one preview that I was not in. You said this before in the season one preview that he was a bit wooden. Yeah, he was a bit of a kind of one dimensional character. Not his fault, scripting. But Matthew Modine is fantastic. I just, I, I feel like it's again, it's a cheat to bring him back. Well, not if it. We'll come on to it later with the predictions, but I do think that he might be very useful in terms of finding the other missing uh, digits of this group. <laughs> you know, um, we're missing a few at the moment. We've only got two of them, but I think uh, with things looming over the kids, they might need some more help. Let's just get it clear. It was a terrible episode. Now, again, like, yes, it, it, it brings up some interesting points, but 
you can't come away from the terrible acting of that group of cartoon characters. Agreed. Like, it's, it's just, it has no place in the show. So whether or not, you know, it served an, a narrative purpose or it didn't, mm. it's a terrible episode. But mm. we're not going to get hung up on it because there's some good episodes to come. We move on to what I think might be, and I hope what we all think might be, the best episode that Stranger Things has ever done. So we're going to move on to Chapter 8, The Mind Flayer. After Will has given in to the power of the Shadow Demon, the Demogorgons begin attacking the lab. Joyce tranquilizes Will to evade the gaze of the Shadow Demon, and Hopper, Joyce, Bob the Brain, Dr. Sam Owen, Mike and Will hide from the Demogorgons, trying to find a way to escape. Dustin, Steve, Lucas and Max head to the lab after hearing strange noises. Jonathan and Nancy, concerned after seeing everyone missing and the buyer's household once again messed up, also head to the lab. Bob takes up the hero mantle, successfully recoding the security doors so everyone can escape, but sadly gets eaten right in front of Joyce. (laughs) Everyone is reunited and they all retreat to the buyer's house. There, they tie Will up and make him think he is somewhere he doesn't know to try and persuade him to fight the shadow demon and tell them how to stop him. Will uses Morse code to tell them to close the gate but the phone rings and the shadow demon locates where they are. As the Demodogs close in on our heroes, the door opens and Eleven returns, killing the Demodogs and saving the day. Right, guys. Episode 8. A lot to cover. A lot happened. But can we just say how fucking amazing that episode was? After such a, as we just said, a a negative emotion towards episode seven, which might have been purposeful, you know, to make us think that episode eight is so good. Episode eight was incredible. Oh, it was incredible. Um, I mean, John said to me when he first watched it, it's one of the best episodes of a TV series I've ever seen. I didn't say that. Did you not? Different John. Different John. Different John. Switching me up with other people. It was a spectacle. And something that the season has obviously been building up to, I mean, we said we liked episodes uh, or chapters four, five, and six, and obviously seven was a little bit of a downer. But to come to come to episode eight, and it was just crazy. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. John, um, as someone who is usually, as he said, very fan critical about the way he judges things, what did you think about this episode? Uh, it was alright. Oh, nah, not really. I'm glad he loved it. Oh, didn't he's I? Glad he loved it. <laughs> um, so it's got a little bit of everything. Uh, it brings the band back together. Yeah, look, I mean, I think there's quite a lot of, like, finally in this episode, which yeah. is nice. And uh, a nice little death thrown in as well, because I, I wanted to see someone get mangled. Mm. Um, sad, though. It's very sad. And we'll come on to that in a bit, because because I think it. the character that died, Bob, really won our hearts. Like, as I said, in, in you know, we liken Gareth to I, Bob. He won our hearts. And I if he were to go... We would honour him God, the same no, way. No. <laughs> I still don't trust him. I'm by far the most agile and I'm clearly the fastest runner. <laughs> Gareth, if that was you and you were running and you got through the doors and you saw Joyce, would you not just run straight through her and out the doors? Right? Correct. Right? I'm not going to stand there. I'm not going to stand in the lobby. It was a bit stupid. He escapes the Demodogs and then stands in the lobby, stands there like an idiot waiting for the for something shit to happen and it's a silly move you've got all that way you've done so well to get out of there you've shown some unexpected pace (laughs) (laughs) and then you decide i'm just gonna stand here 
just get get out of the lab. Honestly, mate, you're so close. Get out of the lab. He's fucking knackered. He's knackered. He is knackered, Gareth. He's run about 20 metres. That's the most he's ever run in his life. He's got to stop there for a rest, does he? Yeah. All of the nerdy teenagers who are slightly overweight in the like late 90s, early noughties who are playing Half-Life 2. Great game. But in real life... And then they get so excited about having gotten out of that fucking building, they yeah. forget to go out the exit, and then yeah. they get eaten by the demodogs. Yeah, that's I mean, what Bob was. Great Bob was re- an overweight teenager great, from nineteen ninety-eight. Great reference to Half Life Two, there, Em. I mean, uh, Half Life Two is it. essentially. I, I can see the directors, the, the Duffer Brothers, playing this, playing Half Life Two, and going, "Fuck, it would be great to make a little, little episode or a series about this." I mean. Half-Life 2, great shout in terms of one of the best parallels, I think. And and we always reference 80s films, whatever. I know Half-Life 2 isn't an 80s game, but what a great <laughs> reference. Did you guys know that the Duffer Brothers uh, wanted to have uh, Sean Austin's character of uh, Bob the Brain killed by about... Sean Astin's character kill, you know? killed by about episode four? But, but the thing is... They were they were gonna ha- they were gonna have evil Will sort of possessed by the Shadow Demon kill Bob the Brain, and they loved uh, what Sean Astin did with the character so much, and he was begging them to like you know give give him her an heroic death. I don't think Sean Astin begged. He wanted an heroic death, and they gave it to him. They really gave it to him. Um, this was one of the best uh, and well earned death death scenes I've seen in a TV show recently. Like. Um, we we thought someone had to go, but when he went, I felt I felt like we'll remember this death scene for a long time to come. Is it a cop out that that's the major death of the season? P- I potentially. It was Hopper. Well, what we said about Hopper at the start of the season, and and I'll come to you, Lucy, on this is that because um, you haven't been with us, so you <coughs> might not have heard what we've said necessarily. But what we said was, Luce, is that we felt that Hopper might have run his course with this story. Like in terms of the fact that we didn't know where his character was going to go, we learned about the do- uh, the death of his daughter. Um, but what do you think about the fact that Hopper survived, or you know, uh, this episode at least, and 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 Bob was the one to bite the bullet here? Well, with Bob, what I found interesting watching it from the beginning, Joyce is with a really nice man, a really kind man. I really hoped that she wouldn't leave him for Hopper because I hate the trope of you know, nice guys finish last and, you know, there's nothing wrong with him and he's a really kind, caring man, but she's going to end up, she's going to leave him, even though she needs support now more than ever. So as much as it really upset me that he died, it was really sad and it was a heroic death for him. I was glad that he wasn't removed from it in a different way, that she decided, oh, no, I don't want to be with you because I just think that's quite lazy. And I also like just skipping ahead a bit, but her flashbacks to his death when dealing with Will with the heaters she did lose someone that she loved and i was just glad that although i do think that she'll end up with hopper and that she should hashtag jopper so him it has cleared the way for them um i'm glad that hopper didn't die i think if there is going to be a season three which i'm not sure whether or not they should do that or not he's now obviously we're probably going to get to that as well but his relationship with 11 has gone to a new stage um so i'm i'm i understand why they didn't sacrifice him and as I say, just from a smaller point of view, I'm glad that he didn't, that Bob wasn't disposed so that she could get together with Hopper because that's just lazy and that's not really, apart from episode seven, that's not really what Stranger Things is about. Mm. I like the idea that uh, you prefer him to be eaten alive by demi-dogs <laughs> than to just be dumped by a <laughs> <up there. laughs> How brutal was it when, like, 
They just linger on the shot of him <laughs> yeah. literally being eaten. Well, like, oh, I don't know if you guys have uh, seen it on Netflix, but they do an after show for Stranger Things called Beyond Stranger Things. And uh, within that, they talk about the Duffer Brothers talk about how uh, Sean Astin's character, you know, he wanted he wanted it to be even more brutal. Originally, it was not that brutal. He didn't cut back to him. He didn't see him getting ripped apart. Um, and they've even had to cut. They said some of it was so brutal, like him splitting out blood and like just loads of blood everywhere that they had to actually not actually include it. And they said that the reason was because he wanted it to be this memorable, gruesome death. Mm. Um, so it's fair play to the actor. I mean, I, I you know, like he must have done so much for the show that he he, he made the writing of the show change midway through to keep him in the show. Mm. That's he's impressive. Not, he's not the new watched. Yeah. Uh, beyond Stranger Things, he's not the only character that changed the track of the storyline. No. So Steve is also the same. Yeah, Steve, Steve, and we'll come on to Steve later as well, because as we said in uh, our four to six um, coverage, and even our one to three coverage, you know, I'm Team Steve. Let's move on to uh, sort of the extremity of the lab and the characters on the outside of the lab who sort of all get drawn to it by this sort of, you know, all the all of our characters are intrinsically linked now. I mean, um, John, what did you think about uh, the, the scene where uh, Steve and sort of the Lucas and uh, Dustin and Max get drawn towards the lab by the noises? Then Jonathan and Nancy are there and you see some rustling in the bushes. And uh, then out of nowhere, Steve walks out and Nancy and Jonathan just go, Steve? <laughs> I was like, absolutely brilliant. It's like a famous five. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, so as I said before, like, uh, bringing the guys back together again, there's a certain amount of, like, oh, man, fucking at last. Yes. Like, let's 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 crack on. You know, we've got, like, at that point, an episode and a half to go, if that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was, like, satisfying beyond belief. Um, and I guess it got really strong from that point as well. Yeah. So I almost feel like if they do do a season three, yeah. and of course they will, Hundred percent. Hundred percent. I would quite like to see the band back together for the whole thing, rather than just splitting everyone off. Yes, I must say. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's good. So that's it. That's that's done. That's that. it. We're over. That's the end of that. See ya. I do think. I do think one thing you got to. Um, I don't. I don't know whether it's worthy of criticism or not, but you sort of brought it up earlier. Then um, there are there is a cop out. Like c- certain characters have got. I mean, most of the characters have got plot armor, and you just knew that. I, I was reading. I was reading a a review of the episode. I think um, on IGN. But I, so I was reading a review of yeah. the uh, of the episode, and they were saying how um, Bob's death just goes to show that nobody in the show is safe. And it's like, well, no, it, no, it doesn't. He's a new character that's been brought in um, to this series, and. Yeah, obviously we everybody loves him, but he was always going to be expendable. But you just feel yeah. like they will never kill off one of the, the four boys. They can't be killing off Jonathan or Nancy or um, Winona Ryder, um, Joyce. Well. Um, Hopper Hopper is one that could because it sort of it would maybe kind of complete his tragic arc in a way, but. I agree, and I think it's I think it's too late in the character arc to to knock him off. <laughs> Please don't little, knock little him off. Please don't knock him off. <laughs> anyway, Can my I point being, this? I think it's too late in his character arc 
for that to be a possibility, and especially given what happens in the next episode, you I mean you couldn't you couldn't have bumped him off at this point. He's become too that Sorry. can't be. You can't <laughs> you got any that. can you use something that you isn't a euphemism, please? Bumping someone off is not a euphemism. <laughs> I mean, oh my god, she bumped him off. <laughs> amazing. Any other Do thing? you see what I have to deal with? We have to make a bit of an apology to someone here. Let's all apologise to Dr. Sam Owen, Paul Riser. Mm for thinking that he was such a dickhead. So, turns out, stand-up guy, stand-up guy, stand-up company man. Yeah, I think, I think to be fair, John said, John said that he might be a good guy, didn't you? Yeah, all right. I thought throughout the series that the government, a bit like, I think, Len, you said it when we did the um, recap of season one about E.T., about the government being, like, relatively benign. I think... I always yeah. thought watching it this series that the government are just this sort of arm of the government are just trying to clean up clean up. They're not trying they are trying to cover it up, but they're not really trying to hurt anyone. They're trying to prevent that. Um so I, I didn't see him as yeah. being a bad guy. I thought he is trying to help. Like there is actually someone there trying to help Will. They are trying to make sure it doesn't get out, but that's understandable in a way. So I never really saw him as being a sinister guy, not like Papa. I mean, to be fair though, Luce, the um, <laughs> Doctor Owens is a good guy. The rest of the um, rest of the lab are all like, "Yeah, well, we got to kill, we got to kill this this kid, don't we?" And he's like, "Well, no, hold on, I don't want to kill any kids." And they're like, mm, "Yes, we we love killing kids." <laughs> <laughs> that's the, the kid killers. No, that's absolutely right, Gareth. Well done. No, it's not right at all. I mean, that's nonsense. Like they're they're being more yeah. realistic about the scenario. Like ultimately, if they have to kill some wet little kid to save everyone's lives, then that's the right thing to do. Um, so basically, everyone escapes the lab and they go back to the buyer's household where they've, you know, it's great to see these group of characters together again and to see them all interacting. <laughs> like you've got some weird sort of character interactions happening that you haven't seen since season one. Um, but what's great about it is the fact that they know that Will, obviously we said he was tranquilized earlier, is now basically inhabited by the Shadow Demon and the Shadow Demon has taken control. Um, what do you guys reckon to the plan to sort of uh, block out their shed and uh, interrogate Will? I mean, couldn't they? Couldn't they just go a little bit further away than Will than, than Will's house? <laughs> they go through all this effort of disguising the shed so he doesn't know what it is. Like, just drive ten minutes down the road or something. Like, it doesn't doesn't have to be within the confines of his own home. It's like a nod to season one that it all kicks off in that shed. Yeah. Like Will, like Will but... Byers runs off to that shed. And gets... And he's hiding there, and then the light goes, and then yeah. he disappears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, I mean, to be fair, who would expect the phone to ring at, like, two in the morning? Yeah, who <laughs> like, was calling on. them? It might be the government. It might be in the government. Probably, probably the government going, we're going to send some... Oh, okay, fine. We're going to send some... No, fine. Yeah. Like, like, you wouldn't have expected that. It was the middle of the fucking night. Actually, I thought it was quite a legit plan. Mm. Um, I disagree. But I thought this. <laughs> I just find that a silly decision that is unnecessary. However, um, it is quite cool how he's communicating through Morse code. That's that's a nice little touch, isn't it? Makes the whole communication with Eleven and Hopper uh, throughout the series um, kind of come full circle, doesn't it? Mm. Yep. Yep. Um, so one of my favourite scenes in this episode was just how you know the, the chat. This chapter is called the Mind Flayer. And um, one of my favourite uh, scenes in the entire season is the scene around the buyer's kitchen table. 
where uh, Dustin is just like like the mind flayer and they do this little click thing and they do this bring up the dragon's lair book or the dungeons and dragons book or whatever it is and they just run down in front of all of our major characters what the mind flare is and Dustin is just like Hopper's like this is a kid's book he's like no this is a manual and <laughs> and this is how we deal with this and it's like it's just the best scene like Hopper's it starts off dismissing it and you've got Dustin reading out like he's a being who is so old he doesn't know where he came from he's a host mind and all this stuff and Hopper buys into it at the end of the scene and he's like right so how do we beat this guy and he's like well well what you got to do is you got to you got to get an undead army because the zombies they don't have uh, brain waves and then it's just it's just a game it's just <laughs> it's just a game and there's a moment where Steve goes um like the Nazis, yeah. No, he doesn't even like the Germans. The Germans. Oh, like the Germans. Like the Germans, like the Germans yeah. is what Steve yeah. says. Oh my god. But actually, like we've gone th- through this whole season thinking that it was the Thessal Hydra, and it's yeah. the fucking mind flare. It's the mind flare. Yeah. How could oh, we be so go. deceived? No, yeah, that was a very good scene. I think he's such a good actor. I thought he, it was done well, and I liked um, Steve's reaction to it. Yeah, well, like the German bit. <laughs> Did you like it? I like to see. What do you guys think? I know, John, you had a lot of concerns about um, Will many, many or, or Will or Noah Schnapp as an actor coming into this season. You're worried about how much screen time we'd get. I'd just like to say we'll move on to episode nine later or chapter nine, where I think he really proves how diverse he is as an actor. You know, I didn't. I never said that. What I said was typically, uh, if you were to consider Hollywood tropes, yeah, to go from hardly appearing in season one, yep. to them being like a main player in season two, yeah. it was highly unlikely. Yeah. Now, I would I would still say there are certain actors in that show that are the main players of this season. Mm-hmm. Dustin is one. Mike isn't. Yeah. He's hardly in it, um, which is surprising, but I guess you could probably factor in that he's off filming other stuff because he's doing quite well for himself. Yeah. It for one. It's another podcast, wasn't in it? Go and have a listen. <laughs> um, but the scenes that he was in... Um, I thought he was. Uh, I thought he like he, he he proved that he is a very capable actor. Yeah, uh, and good on him. Never had a problem with him. Never fallen out with him. Um, Don't even know him until so. now. So you know that's it. Will for me has been the revelation of the season. Obviously, I haven't discussed it really with any of you because I haven't been involved in the other podcasts. But I think he. Is an exception. He's been an exceptional actor in this in this season. I think he's been the the, the highlight for me. Um, there's something about him that just it's sort of like tugs at my uh, my heartstrings a bit. I don't know. It's the maternal instinct kicking in, but he just looks so vulnerable. And I think he's an amazing actor. And the the scene when I know we've gone past it a bit, but when they're interrogating him and they're all going through their memories, that was so emotional. And I think he has more than surpass expectations he just demonstrates um like you can just see the toll on mm. him as a character developing and it it's not that's not i mean i don't know i'm not a professional actor believe it or not but i understand that that's not an easy thing to what? do is to 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 show that kind of unraveling and um he does it so well and it's it is kind of gradual isn't it he mm. gradually he gradually becomes more and more mind flayer and less and less will it isn't really an interrogation, it's an emotional assault. And 
what that does is break down the barriers between the the takeover of the mind flayer for Will and his you know you talk about his binary ability to communicate, mm. but he has something and actually that broke my fucking heart. Like listening to yeah, and I think we talked about how how little we'd had of Will in season one really, mm. um, and the fact that he wasn't physically there for the majority of it. But I think what that set of scenes with the kind of interrogation or whatever you might call it. Um, enable us to do was to learn Will's backstory and who Will is mm. so you know who he is to Joyce who he is to Jonathan I know we got a bit of that in season one and um, but how him and Mike became friends and the mm. real heart behind that character and why we were so taken with fighting for his survival as, as viewers in season one and I think that was yeah. really key yeah and I think um, I think that Will you know for two seasons I definitely cried yeah, I mean, I've, I thought it was very emotional, actually. And I, you I, cried, didn't you? I, I, don't, we, don't, we don't talk about that on the podcast. But yeah, I I, I feel that we Len sort of... Len cried. Len cried a lot. Hell of a um, it's very emotional. And to hear the characters all getting very emotional, like Joyce cries, Will is on... You know, he would cry if he wasn't, you know, possessed. <laughs> uh, Jonathan, Jonathan's in tears. Mike's in tears. Time. Yeah, it's very emotional. And... I really like what they did with Will this season and we'll come into it in chapter nine where I think it gets elevated to another level, you know, to some of my favourite sort of horror movie type scenes that I've seen yeah. in my childhood and, and now it really moves on to that level. But I just want to finish the episode um, talking about um, what I think was such a well-earned moment um, and something that really, like, I know we didn't like episode seven mm. and I know that we haven't maybe agreed with the way that... Um, 11 or Jane has been used this season but I felt like her reveal to the group when they're all together in the cabin afraid for their lives that it's game over at this point you know the demodogs are closing in um, and you hear that noise of one yelping and getting thrown through the window and the door unlocks in that the similar way to the way the door unlocked with the demogorgon in season one episode one for Will when he was locked in the buyer's household so you have this amazing callback there and um just the way that she walks into the room in this new gothic cool outfit and the way she presents herself to the gang. I want to open it up to the floor. I mean, feel free to jump in. What do you guys think about that reveal? It was fucking really cool. Really, really cool. Yeah. And actually, uh, you know, for, for someone that is miserable and burly, apparently, unbelievable. Uh, when her and Mike come together, you know. Yeah. Little, uh, got me in the feels. Yeah got me right in the feels yeah uh, that was great but that's the thing about it like i said i, I think it's earned like i think i think yeah. they've, they've really earned this reunion so we were worried about when they were going to reintroduce 11 to the main cast this season and they teased it so well in like the first couple of episodes with mike on his walkie talkie talking to l and and l can hear them or jane can hear him and and you have those scenes with them too in the astral plane and we were worried about how the reunion would happen but to happen in this way when they're in such peril well look like uh, when we were talking about episode one and we said, or I said at least, and I know Gareth 100% agrees, it felt too easy for her to come back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or was it episode? Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Was, was it episode one? Cha- it's it? chapter two, yeah. Beginning but, of episode yeah. two or whatever. But um, it just felt really easy for her to come back. The fact that they were able to uh, string it out. Yeah. Her, yeah. Her and Mike coming together, end of episode eight. Yeah, it was... Uh, it was delicious. And that moment where, where Mike goes, you know, I've spoken to you every day and she goes 352 days or whatever it is and they look at each other. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly what I did, to be honest. Ah! Cry, cry fest. 
Yeah, well, just going back to what you said there, John, I, you're absolutely right. I was talking to, to Lucy before uh, we started started recording and saying about, I was talking about that exactly, how her escape from the upside down is just so basic and it kind of, in a way, un, undid, or it felt like it undid some of the, the drama and the tension that you end on uh, at the yeah. end of, of last season because it's so dramatic and upsetting and, she, you know, it's like, oh, bye, Mike, and then gone, boom, oh, shit, we don't know what's happened. And then what has happened is she is... She basically just walks through a, a hole and that's it. She's back. Yeah. But one thing that wasn't undone was the drama that really existed for Mike as a character because, yeah. you know, yeah. he sees her disappear. He hasn't, he's not watching the flashbacks, presumably. Yeah. And, and so he, he doesn't know what's going on. He thinks that she's gone and has no idea whether she will ever be back. So that still exists. That tension for Mike still exists. And maybe... That's why he's been so kind of withdrawn all all season. I, I I know probably kind of more technical reasons than that as well. He might not have had uh, have had time to to be there, but he's he's been very withdrawn as a character as well. And and we know that um, that Eleven's absence is kind of weighing heavily on his mind. So for an emotional payoff, it is actually huge, and that comes all the way back to season one. That's a thing that's been waiting since then. And he plays it impeccably. I, I mean, I know we don't see as much of him in this season as we did in season one, but he is outstanding. Yeah, I don't think anyone's questioning his uh, his quality. Oh, yeah. I just wanted um, to say it. But no, you're right. Like, uh, whether it's in fits and spurts, I mean, he is he is quality. Yeah. Um, and uh, just these facial expressions, just there. But even before he says anything, it's just like, oh yeah, good there's, on you. There's so much yeah. emotion behind every expression he makes and I think that's really talented for what a 12 year old kid mm. you know fair fucking play mate yeah episode 8 what an episode I think we can all safely say probably our favourite episode ever no. but we're going to come on to the season finale which is you know it's, it's tough to separate 8 and 9 but let's go on to episode 9 9 chapter 9 the gate <clears throat> Mike is horrified that Hopper has been lying to him this whole time about 11 but they concoct a plan that splits up our group three ways. Hopper and Jane, slash Eleven, will go to the lab to close the gate. Joyce, Jonathan and Nancy will take Will to the cabin to exorcise the shadow demon from him. And the boys, which is Mad Max, Lucas, Steve, Dustin and Mike, will go into the Upside Down Network to distract all the Demodogs from Eleven so she can close the gate. Billy and Steve have an epic fight, and Mad Max finally sticks it to her brother, literally. They successfully lure the Demodogs away to allow Eleven to finally close the gate, and the Shadow Demon is purged from Will and escapes into the wild. We end on the annual Hawkins snowball, where the boys, Mad Max, and Eleven, slash Jane, all get a moment of happiness that they deserve. A great finale. I mean, I remember seeing so many different finales from different seasons of different TV shows, and for me, this one ticked a lot of boxes. Not only did it tick the boxes, it pulled on the heartstrings. I'm going to come to John first. John, what did you think about that season finale? Well, yeah, obviously you always start with me because I'm I'm the emotional one. Um, no, look, I mean, uh, that ball, I love that. Yeah. I love the whole thing. Yeah. Um, the epilogue. Yeah, if you will. Um, yeah, it was uh, very, very satisfying. Yeah. Uh, 
as a viewer. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the way it ended, but no. Yeah, it was a uh, bit surprised Dustin wasn't getting the ladies with his new hair. Well, to I'm going to bring that up in a bit, John, because I, I, I just, I mean, it's. I, I want to come to the epilogue as a separate section Sorry. at the end because it, I feel, I feel like the epilogue is a mini episode in its own right. Like, it, like it just, it's just its own little. 20 minute entity that yeah. you would see like maybe on the internet or something that they'd release after the show i think it's absolutely great but the start of the episode you have the the group of characters splitting off into three different directions which i think is great as again so you have all the characters come together and then they split away i mean um em what did you think about um the conversation between hopper and 11 as they're on the way to the lab for me that was very strong I am, and I said this before, their relationship for me is just beautifully heart-wrenching and wonderful. That conversation that they have is the first moment where Hopper really admits what we've all watched throughout season two. Yeah. That he is clearly struggling with the loss of his daughter in such a tragic way. And he has not been through having a, a teenage daughter with crazy telekinesis abilities um but actually just having a daughter when it's just the two of them and, and i think he's really struggling with that and i i'm a i'm an only child of a one father family one parent like a like a one one parent father family <laughs> and it's really i think it's really challenging like no i'm being serious i know you are but it's just it's the turn of phrase is bizarre like mm. When you only have one parent and it's a dad and you're a girl, mm-hmm. as a child, it's challenging for them because I mean, who yeah. the fuck has a clue what teenage girls go through? Let alone if they got psychic fucking abilities. And that I hear that they've son. been through so much, and it was just so. It was that moment where they looked at each other and you just went, <clears throat> "Yeah, they both get it." Yeah, I really love that. Yeah, I think the acting from both. Uh, Millie Bobby Brown and David Harbour in this scene was absolutely absolutely incredible and it was the payoff that we we said we wanted we wanted some resolution after that massive fight they had back in uh, chapter 4 um and and I just think the the whole the whole conversation between them and and like you said um we finally got the sort of resolution to that you know as the fact that Hopper Hopper sees um, Eleven or Jane as a daughter we we'd alluded to it earlier in the season mm. but now it's finally it's finally there that we can finally say this is a father-daughter relationship. Yeah, definitely. He couldn't save his daughter, um, but he saved Eleven. So yeah. I think it's giving him meaning yeah. and purpose. And it's really nice to see. And I think I agree that the acting is, is superb from both of them. What's, what's Mike's problem? At the start of the episode? <laughs> yeah, what's going on there? I think... Uh, do, do, do you do you do you honestly think there was a problem there? Because I I feel what do you mean? like he literally <clears throat> like he had like Hopper had to pull him into another room. Yeah, I can tell like, you exactly what his was. I completely agree with M here. I think the problem is completely justified. I mean, yeah. Mike is a fourteen-year-old kid or whatever in this I think show, he's younger, isn't he? maybe even younger. His oh, emotions have yeah. been. He's he's finally discovered. I'm not saying love, but he has an infatuation with Eleven that we saw in the first season, and he's been calling to her every night on the radio. And Hopper is blindly li- Hopper is close to the boys now. Like he's not because- close to Mike though. Yeah, but no. he is close to the boys. He's- we get a lot that's happened off camera. The he fact that um, he's had to close it all I mean, up. Oh, think about their interactions this season alone. Yeah, but this season Hopper's had a lot going on. Yeah, I mean, you know I've hardly think- seen him at all. Yeah, like- Mike's Mike's issue 
is is with with Eleven and Hopper in that he has been so heartbroken, distraught and alone, especially because Will's not quite been right because he's invaded by the Mind Flayer. Um, You know, so yet again, he's alone. And we, we talked about last episode how we got the backstory of Will and Mike and, you know... They were the losers who had no mates and then became mates. Yeah. Um, I think Hopper should have chinned him. Over here in the Upside Down, we agree with John because... Yay! Uh, boo! Yeah, have a listen because we've got some reasons for it and Lucy is going to tell you those reasons. Well, I think <laughs> I think Hopper's priorities are not the feelings of a 14-year-old boy, 12-year-old boy, however old he is. His priority is, I mean, he's working with the government now to try and keep things under wraps. Presumably, he's trying to keep her existence away from them. He's trying to protect Mike, because if he knows, you know, they've already told Mad Max about what happened last year. Kids can't keep a secret. I know friends don't lie, but they don't always keep a secret either. That's right. And I think, I understand (laughs) Mike's being upset, but I don't think Hopper owes him anything. (laughs) Oh, you didn't tell me that she was alive? No, I haven't told anyone. I've literally been keeping a secret. It's been really hard. Yeah, I've I've been more concerned with making sure that she doesn't die. Like, I hope that's all right. I understand Mike being upset, but I think he has no right to react like that towards Hopper, and Hopper has owes him nothing, I don't think. Uh, my complaint with the way in which he reacts to Hopper isn't... It's not a, a, a why is he fucking pissy about it. I understand why he's pissy about it, but he reacts like Hopper owes him something. Hopper owes him nothing. Like They have no relationship, irrespective of what happened in season one. That is like, fair. That is, like that he, is he, fair. He's like, how could you, rather than why didn't you? The massive payoff from that whole scene is that moment where Mike breaks down in Hopper's arms. Yeah, lovely. And Hopper finally yeah. can control him. And actually, John, you're right in what you said. To be, to be fair, that scene just shits all over Mike's actual dad. Because it's it's almost like he doesn't have a father figure. Yeah, he Except doesn't. Except for the whole... Um, but he does. Know, I mean, he has a very the quippy... Hilarity yeah, he has a very quippy, I don't know where my son is, sort of. Fall asleep in the, in the lazy boy <laughs> father. Language! <laughs> yeah, fall asleep in the lazy boy dad. Yeah, dad, you know, classic. One of the most amazing scenes in the episode was uh, a very fun... You know, we come into the season finale, we're thinking it's going to be all action and we're not going to see some minor characters, but then we get this amazing, amazing scene with Mrs. Wheeler in the bath... Oh, my God. ...reading a very erotic fantasy novel. Um, And she, she, you know, Ted, as we just mentioned... Is asleep in his lazy boy, mm. as so usual. It's doesn't a Mills and he doesn't care? He doesn't care about his life anymore. He's given up. Ted has given up. He doesn't even have a penis. And Mrs. Wheeler's looking for a source of uh, romantic comfort. And lo and behold, the doorbell rings. She goes downstairs, opens the door. Did anyone notice this? That the the character on the front of her hunky erotic novel was an exact replica of the way that Billy is dressed and the way what Billy is wearing. And the way he is. So I'm going to throw out here that on the covers of Mills and Boone's novels in the 70s and 80s and the early 90s, there was a certain gentleman called Fabio who modelled on the front of all those covers, which is essentially what Billy, slightly less lengthy hair and slightly less built than Fabio, uh, represents. I mean, Fabio is... He was fabulous. Yeah. In In an episode where there's a lot of tension and a lot of, you know, like climactic nature Ooh. Ooh. 
Um, <laughs> John's gone. Did anyone find this the exact comic relief that they needed? Yes. Gaz, I know you're partial to a bit of erotic fantasy. What do you think? Oh, I loved it. Um, it was uh, actually I was gonna I was gonna say I think Lucy has a few opinions on Billy. Oh yeah, be... I hate him. <laughs> <laughs> I hate I hate Billy. Um, I hate the character. I hate his inclusion in the show because, as we've mentioned before, every everything in Stranger Things up to this season has seemed to me very realistic. So even Steve, who's you know the most popular guy in school, he's quite ordinary looking. He has the best hair known to man, but he just looks like a normal guy. And then you get this. He just looks like a male model that's been dropped in. He's psychotic for no reason. And I don't think your dad being a dickhead is any reason to be as bad as he is. He's not realistic. And although that was a funny scene, I um, I hate him. So, Luce, I, I just want to say that I think um, I agree with you. The fact that he's a very caricature character to bring into Hawkins. I know we said that Steve is this jock. He, he's kind of like a... Not, he's not really a, what you'd stereotype of a jock usually, right? So other than the fact that he's a bit of a caricature-ish, we did get the scene, a very important scene, uh, with him and his father, which illustrates maybe the way he acts like he does, uh, which was a... I thought quite a harrowing scene, and and, and uh, I thought his father was horrible. Horrible. And, it, and you can see Billy... Not emulating his father, but, you know, maybe reacting the way he does because of his father. He's acting out because of his father, but for me, that was a little bit lazy. It's like, he's psychotic. He wants to run the kids over. Oh, but his dad hits him, so that's fine. It, to me, it, that's not, again, development-wise, that's not what I've come to expect from Stranger Things. Right, so he's gay, isn't he? He's, he's, I think oh, so. He's so gay. I think so. I think So gay. Like, it's just all pent-up aggression. Yeah, and there's a very telling line when uh, Mrs. Wheeler opens the door in that comical scene that we were just talking about, and he says something like, oh, you're not my type. And the way he says no, it... he says Nancy's he says not his type. Nancy's not my type, yes. And the way he says it, for me is another callback to the scene with him and Steve in the shower. Yeah. It's a scene with him and Steve playing basketball. It's a scene with him and Steve fighting that I see these seeds being developed. I think yeah. Billy is going to be a big character in season three and him dealing with his emotions, him dealing with his emotions, uh, especially to his sister and, <laughs> and to the rest of the group and everything is going to be very important. And I think he could be a major character in season three. You've got to remember as well, like the time that it's set, like... Uh, it wasn't exactly kind of the most um, progressive progressive time for homosexuality. Even if he is supposed to be gay, I'm not convinced that it will be revealed. Like, it won't be made explicit. It could just always be mm. this, like, little implied thing that nobody... that you, yeah. is never actually... Yeah, yeah, yeah. He doesn't go, oh, by the way, I'm gay. So Billy tracks down um, our crew and they, a fight ensues between Steve and Billy. Um... Guys, what did you make of that? John, the fight between Steve and Billy? Fucking brutal. Brutal. Jesus, like, what's this guy on? Well, fucking hell, he takes a beating and it's just like nothing. What, Steve or Billy? No, like, Billy. So do you think that's like, related to the fact that he's been beaten his whole life, potentially, by his yeah, father? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Like, I mean, fucking hell, it's like, at times, it's, it's comical. Like, mm. like he's literally like loving it like you yeah. can't do anything to me yeah um i felt massively sorry for for steve but I, but i also felt for for billy as well what a hero steve is though stepping in to protect the kids oh yeah they're loving it they're bloody loving it yeah team steve team steve. steve is just 
Steve, actually, Lucy asked me earlier who my favourite character was, and I think I said the obvious, Dustin. Steve is is probably my favourite character. Isn't he just the best? I don't want to like quote other TV shows in our podcast, but um, to, to quote um, Game of Thrones, he's a Jamie Lannister. You know, he goes from he he goes from being your most hated to your most loved. So Mad Max finally gets her revenge on uh, on her new brother. Um, who else liked a scene where she just shoved a you know tranquilizer in his neck? Lucy. Yes, that 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 was cool, and I liked how she kind of was like step aside, boys, and she took care of it. I have a question. Um, in the build-up in the previous episodes, you may have covered this, so I apologise if I'm repeating myself, but it seemed like there was going to be more to their relationship and to the reason that they were in Hawkins. I thought, yeah. at one point, I thought maybe she was going to have powers, other than being good at video games yeah, and yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. skateboarding. And there was always allusions to it, like, we're only here because of you, and like you're a little bitch, and all this horrible stuff. But it turns out, no, they're just... There's potential there for there to be more revealed about their story. I mean, we got the we we we've only just scratched the surface, I think. And um, Mad Max is a very interesting character, and like and like you just alluded to, you know, we don't know for sure that she doesn't have powers. Mm. It's never been alluded, you know, she might have something up her sleeve. So let's fast forward to uh, Steve waking up in a car, bloodied, beaten and distraught and just delusional i absolutely love this scene where max is driving the car and you've got all the the, 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 the sort of flashing between all these characters and steve's just like trying to come to to come to grips with what's happened and he sees what's going on because he didn't want to go through with this plan to go to the tunnels um uh gaz what did you like about that scene with steve i know you just mentioned steve might be your favorite character it was it was really cool like the way that he um, he's obviously kind of groggily coming to after being absolutely battered by Billy, um, and he's just very quickly having to realise what's going on. It's um, his last memory is being like smashed over the head with a plate by Billy, and then the next thing he knows is being driven in a car by a thirteen-year-old girl who can't reach the pedals and clearly doesn't know what she's doing and he just very quickly yeah. has gone from one absolutely shit situation into an almost definitely worse situation and like you say he was against the plan from the start but what is awesome is what happens afterwards and that he he's obviously totally against it and he's angry that they've gone there and he could he could have just been like well do you know what F- fuck the lot of you i'm going home but instead he does what he needs to do and he he just he takes that role as defender of the kids so seriously from that point and i love it and i love him and i love his hair and that's what we love about steve i mean anything this season he's just he's had to deal with the breakup of nancy obviously who he cares very much about and you can even see signs of that in the epilogue um but he's taken on this mantle as like, he says it even in like the previous episode, like, you know, who would have known I'm such a good babysitter. But not only that, he he genuinely has a connection with these boys and especially Dustin and the role to look after them in this in this treacherous time. Like he, they, you know, the kids say to him, look, you were tasked with looking after us, look after us. And he's like, I've got my spiked bat. I'm going to look after these kids. And I love that about Steve. I love the fact that he just takes these challenges head on without asking too much, too many questions and proves... You know, he's a good guy. Yeah, what a guy. 
what a guy. What hair. I'm going to jump around a bit and I'm going to move away from this group and go on to the group of uh, Joyce, uh, Nancy, Jonathan and Will, who is still possessed by the Shadow Demon. What did you guys reckon to the exorcism scene? Uh, very much harking back to, you know, the exorcists in 1970s. Um, 100%. 100%. Uh, what did you reckon to that scene? I'm going to come to Emma on that. Oh, do you know what? That was one of the most powerful things in both seasons of Stranger yeah. Things. Because we all talked about the fact that we thought that Will would just die and you could never have finished the season with him in it and blah, blah, blah. And yeah. actually, none of us have ever thought about the fact that you could just exercise the damn weird shit inside him. Yeah. Um, is, it, is it weak, though, that that can happen? No I, no, I don't think it is. I mean... I really don't. I think that if you're going to if you're gonna hark back to films from films and TV series and themes from that era... If there is a demon taking over your son, you fucking yeah. exercise the shit out of that. Yeah. And I thought it was amazingly filmed. I thought mm. Jonathan and Nancy were suitably pathetic and Winona Ryder well. was explosive. Yeah, I, I okay, in terms of the, the scene itself, I think it was filmed well. Yes. And I understand the need for it uh, and I liked it. However, it's good to reference other films, and I made this point earlier, is it right that just copying scenes from other films is driving the narrative? So I don't think that's what it is. I think I think in this particular situation you had a choice between either exercising the demon slash upside down monster out of Will mm. or killing a kid. I mean, really, yeah. you've got a choice of one or the other. And I know that we had the kind of fake death of Will in season one, but mm. we've not killed any children yet and it's still a bit fucking traumatic to kill 12-year-olds. Yeah, but, uh, okay, so, sorry, mate. Um, but I'd argue that scene in season one is more powerful than anything that happens it's, in season two. It's one of my most favourite scenes of television of all time. That's yeah. that scene in season one to Peter so, Gabriel's I mean, heroes. It's a serious fucking oh, false flag. Oh about. my it's god! A red herring. So if you didn't exercise him, or you know, what would you do? So, so I think I think Em's right in the fact that it feeds into this uh, Dungeons and Dragons, Dragons Lair theory, and also like science fiction theorem of a yeah. hive mind. Um, where the boys figure out, and you know, it's going back to their manual again, that they can't, they, they can't kill the shadow demon, or defeat the shadow demon, or close the gate as it is, mm. without destroying Will. Mm. Um, and that's really important. Thing. It's important because it, it feeds What's into this thing? whole dragons lair, Dungeons and Dragons eighties, you know, tabletop game theme, which has been running throughout the show since episode one, and I love that. And I understand what John John means by saying that the the exorcism is, yes, a massive callback to the exorcist. I don't think it was a, a particularly smart. I think it was clever. I think mm. it was really obvious, to be honest. Yeah. Um, the fact that some... Yeah, I, I genuinely, like... No, oh, I don't uh, I, uh, this, oh, it's cold. Okay, do you know what is... Oh, do you know what cold doesn't like? Hot. Oh, yeah, hot. Hot does cold. And it's like, what is this? Come Sorry. on. It's ridiculous. <laughs> like, that's how... Like it's almost Walking Dead, but we won't go into that. We'll no. save that for next week's podcast. Yeah. Um, I'm not. I don't hate the scene. I don't hate the scene. Yeah. But to me, it just seems a bit weak. If you're looking at it from the character's point of view, Joyce is doing something that's causing great harm to her son. They don't know. You know, Jonathan and Nancy try and get her to stop at one point because it looks like it could take Will with it. So there is a slight. I mean, we oh, know there's... that he probably won't die, but there is. There's real Some drama. peril there. There is. There is, there is real drama. She, you're absolutely right. And she remembers Bob and she turns it up, you know. She knows there's something evil inside her son and 
she's going to stop at nothing to get it out, even potentially at the risk of losing her son, but she wants to destroy it. Lucy, uh, John's got a very important question he just asked me in my earpiece. He said, uh, do you reckon that Joyce turned it up to 11? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that annoys me. That annoys me. Go, yeah. Oh, yeah, do you remember when McCann said turn out to 11? No, I never said that. <laughs> so let's go back to the escapade in the tunnel with the uh, with Steve and the, the kids. Um, I love the fact that they have this little adventure and it was, as we said Steve sort of buys into it they go down into the tunnels to sort of distract the demodogs away from Eleven while she tries to close the gate with Hopper now um, what did you guys think about um, Dart and their and his interaction with the the kids especially Dustin now we, we, we alluded to the fact that um, that Dart or I think Gaz maybe alluded to it in, in, in an earlier podcast that he might be a might be a good guy so we kind of get a semblance here that dart has broken from the hive mind you know like which we, dart and dustin. yeah dart and dustin i mean we all wanted them to be some sort of um like double act but gaz obviously you 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 coined this thought that they could be um that they could be a duo and and that he could be trained for a good purpose now what are you thinking yeah, well, thanks for thanks for crediting me. Um, I, I I will admit that I went back on that. Um, I think in our midway through the season, I said, "Ah, oh, I was obviously wrong about Dart maybe being a good guy." Um, which I mean, to be fair, he's still a man eating demodog. Like, cat eating. Uh, yeah, as well, cat eating. Oh, uh, and cat eating. Yeah, cat and man eating. Like those are the that's the worst combination. Yeah. Um, but yeah, obviously there is still that connection with um, with Dustin, and um, and that's an interesting point though. Is that is there something more to them? Like they're not. Is yes. there a way that they they're not necessarily going to be um, not necessarily going to be controlled by this hive mind? And is there a way of I don't know, like reasoning with them sounds silly because you're not going to sit them down in a, a room and say, now tell us what your problem is with the human race. But in a way, being able to to kind of manipulate them or, um, or get them on side. Which I suppose opens up two questions in that um, can they be manipulated to be non-evil? But also, if you destroy whatever is controlling the hive mind, actually, do you can do you destroy the demogorgons and demodogs? So we Probably we we know three. we know that the uh, we know that closing the gate in the terms of the of the theory of the boys um, closes the gate and kills everything that the hive mind was controlling. Now. What's interesting, and I think we'll come on to it in our predictions for next year, but what's really interesting is the fact that, do you remember the scene towards the end when they're trying to escape the tunnels and all of the demodogs go past them because they're trying to get back to the gate to, to yeah, stop yeah, Eleven yeah. closing the gate? Yeah. We clearly see a scene of Dart at the end of the show dying next to, or apparently dying, next to his three musketeers bar that was left behind by Dustin. Oh, he's dead. Well... I don't think necessarily he is. And we'll come on to it in predictions. But it, it proves the fact that he's able to break this hive mind mentality and, and have a semblance of a connection with the human character. Um, and I, buyers, isn't he? he? What? He is a, he's a mini buyers. Slug I mean, buyers. Yeah, little slug buyers. He did come out of 
buyers. Maybe they all came out of buyers and we just didn't see it, as we well, said. Yeah, 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 that is true. Yeah. yeah. But I do also think that it's really important to know how brave Dustin was to believe that Dart wasn't going to fucking eat his face off. Yeah. But, and go up there and feel him noogie. Brave or naive, I don't know. But... So I'm going to come on to the final scene between Eleven and Hopper. Hopper battling the Demodogs as they close in on Eleven as she's trying to close the gate. I knocked the special effects budget earlier on in the season. You can, you know, quote me on it. But right now, fucking hell, I'm really impressed with what they did here. Um, I'm going to come to Lucy on this. Lucy, what did you think about that final scene with Eleven? Now, I know we had it before in season one with her putting her hand out and stopping the big bad. What did you think about it as a replica, but taking it up to... As John just asked me to say again, 11. I did, I did not say that. <laughs> I really enjoyed the scene and there was actually a moment when she seemed like she was struggling and I was like, give it two hands. And she did. She got the other hand up and miraculously that worked. Um, yeah. But weirdly, that scene, there were parts of it reminds me a bit of Lord of the Rings with like the demodogs like fleeing like orcs in uh, the Mines of Moria. Did you think, Lucy, because this was my thought at the time, was um, I I thought that like she was expending a lot of energy and to get it shut it might take some sort of sacrifice that might um, Hopper well or her like maybe it, it was gonna be like um, maybe she at least passed out or something afterwards and it's like oh my god is she okay but instead she just sort of did it and then had a bit of a bloody nose yeah. and wiped it clean. I think that was that was just indicative of how her power has grown. She's able to control it more. She's able to expend it where she needs to. I think if she'd fainted or died, then it would have been too similar, like Len said, to the uh, the first Fair series enough. when she vanishes and you, we believe she could be dead. Um, but instead she just walks through a wall. Yeah. She's got her cool, her cool threads. What do they call it? Bitchin'. Her bitchin' threads. My fucking issue with this scene, right, is that right the way through this entire season, especially when Bob died, mm. no one can seem to kill these fucking demodogs, and yet, and yet. Bloody Jim Hopper, he's he's shooting them straight in the mouth, dead, done, down. Maybe. Dead, like, done, down. He's got a combat yeah. shotgun, I mean, that's no, pretty I good. Mean, how, how has he got that? Well, how might... has he not had that before? And he's had, a, he's had a fucking, he's had a pump action shotgun, he's had a machine gun. All of a sudden on this platform, he's got a gun that can just kill him in one shot. Mm. Are you having a fucking laugh? It might be killing that them would have just s- knocking them off the thing. That would have saved a hell of a lot of hassle. Well, they might not be dead, is, is what I'm saying. Well, yeah. maybe, maybe not. Well, who like... knows? I'm pissed off. It annoys me. Yeah. That's the only thing throughout the whole two seasons of Stranger Things that has ever annoyed me, but that fucked me off. I was, uh, and I hate to say this, particularly because, you know, me and me and Hopper are, you know, burly lads. Burlies. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think he should have died there and then. I don't disagree. I think um, get rid of that episode seven. Like it's more powerful if if he dies there and then, and eleven just goes mental, um, and as Len has just cool. whispered to me, yeah. turns it up to eleven, <laughs> uh, and like and then closes the gate because of that. Like it's a kind of it's like a gut wrenching scene where. Yes, it's victory, but it's bittersweet. Yeah. Whereas, yeah. actually, what mm. happens is everyone is fine. And it's like, oh, come on, what's going on here? But then it's the snowball, isn't it? So, yes, coming on to our 
and well, I think we I can say this for everyone. We needed this twenty minute segment of an epilogue to sort of really um we didn't really get it at the end of last season. We just got like a five minute oh setting up the season two sort of scenario. Whereas this season we got a real resolution for a lot of the lot of the characters. Yeah. And we finally got a moment of happiness for some very for some characters who really needed it. Yeah. And especially Will Byers, who has been through two seasons of absolute hell. Mm. I'm gonna throw it to Gaz. I'm gonna say, Gaz, what did you think about this epilogue? I mean just talk about how you, 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 what you feel about the semblance of happiness that the characters have at the end of season two. I loved it all, apart from that one bit that you've just mentioned, and that is the the moment of happiness for Will Byers. You're right; he needs it. It's um, his character needed something to happen. Although, to be fair, just being able to attend the snowball is probably, um, <laughs> but the the way that that particular bit of um, romantic redemption happened was just nonsense. Like, some random girl who is, to us, nobody, calls him zombie boy and asks to dance. Where's that come from? Like, nobody's... He's, he's, been, he's been bullied the whole time at school for what they think is coming back from being missing. Nobody at this point is going... Oh yeah, because of what's just happened in the last few episodes of Stranger Things, we actually all like Will Byers now. And we think he's cute. Like no, nobody's. It's it's totally illogical, and it's just a it's a complete like fabrication or just contrived moment to make sure that all of the boys have somebody to dance with at that point. And yeah. it annoyed me. Like that bit really annoyed me because the other ones all made sense. You know, Lucas and Max, um, Dustin. <laughs> I mean, the little Dustin escapade was a terrific mm-hmm. little um, mini episode in itself within the mini episode, um, which was cool. And um, yeah. and obviously Mike and Mike and Eleven makes perfect sense. It's just Will just has to have this random character inserted to give him happiness. Yeah. Silly. Yeah. So I'm going to bring this around to John now, and I'm going to just ask John about uh, what you just alluded to there, which is uh, I think. <laughs> One of my favourite things that I've seen this year, um, if not just the whole season two of Stranger Things, is the interaction between Dustin and Steve in the epilogue. And I think uh, so, so strong. Yeah, just brilliant. so good to give it that payoff. John, what did you think about that? Right. Uh, just to counter Gaz's point there, um, I 100% agree with what you said. It's not in line with anything that's happened in the season. But do you know what? I'm happy to suspend my disbelief for that moment. And I think most viewers, yeah, I think most viewers would probably be the same. Yeah. Um, I'm happy to be cynical about most stuff, Walking Dead for one. But uh, but for this scene, um, I just, I fucking was like, yeah, go on, zombie boy. And then we come on to the coolest badass of the group, Dustin. And he's got himself. Uh, well, he is. He is the coolest badass. Yep. Slick new I think that's what they're calling him now. And uh, he's got. I mean, his mates taking a bit of a beating, but fair play. He's recovered. Um, turns up with the coolest hair. Yeah. Uh, Definitely. I've probably ever seen. I mean, honest. and sharpest suit. I mean, the boy is looking fly. It's absolutely fucking banging. If I was twelve. I mean, I'm currently 28, so I mean, it'd be illegal. But Very um, illegal. If I was 12, I'd definitely date Dustin. 
We see a little nuanced nod from Steve that he understands that Nancy is no longer his. Uh, and he's and, and he's taken no, but he's no, but he's taken it in a very good way. He's taken it in a very good way. He's taken it in a way like very mature. That's what we like about Steve at the moment. He takes upon these roles in a very mature way, whether it's protecting the boys or moving on from Nancy, who he adores. I'm proud of Steve. I'm very proud of Steve, but he does give her a look though, doesn't he? He does give her a look, but yeah. but but the fact that he's able to still have this connection with Dustin after all of these events like he sees like a younger brother figure in Dustin and even with the hair thing it's amazing did anyone else feel very um I was I'm gonna admit I got very upset I got very upset when no one wanted to dance with Dustin (laughs) it was annoying wasn't it uh Lucy as Dustin is your favorite character and I know you've uh modeled your whole look and career on Dustin do you do you do you do Do you, what was your opinion on that scene? Um, yeah, it was emotional. I have to say, it kind of brought back memories of just being left out at school and no one wanting to, yeah. like, not like I want to dance to you, but you know, like all your friends have, like, paired off. And even though you're the coolest one, no one, like, is interested. <laughs> and I, I found it. Really- ah, good. I'll dance with you. Gareth said that earlier as well. Um, Getting loads of offers now. Oh, God. I'm the new Dustin. But when he emerged with his hair, I literally laughed out loud like a proper belly laugh i did find it emotional and just it just shows it highlights the cruelty of teenage girls just all bitches um but yeah i liked him dancing with his hair twin nancy and her little words of reassurance was really sweet and after everything they've all been through together it it was really fitting i thought i enjoyed it but very emotional when no one would dance with him brought back bad memories let's move on to um what i'm gonna call and what the fandom is calling jopper now Let's just say this right now. I have the utmost respect for Bob the Brain, uh, be it my friend Gareth or the fictitious character, Bob the Brain. Um, I would just like to say, I don't think it's disrespectful of Hopper at this point to be sort of moving in on Joyce, but I hope in the future that Jopper can be a thing. I'm a massive Jopper shipper. I'm going to move this on to M and see if she's a Jopper shipper. I am absolutely a Jopper shipper, but what I'd like to say is, in my own words, I'm just down for Hopper and Joyce getting together because that feels too cool for me. I reckon I'm going to be the only one here that thinks this. I am not. I'm not shipping Jopper. Oh, so it's because you're Bob the Brain. I mean, that's probably the reason. However, um, there might also be logical reasons to it in that I feel like their relationship is almost like a brother and sister, and. Like they're too, they're too matey. I reckon they're 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 friend zoned each other, and oh um, I don't know. It, it just doesn't seem like a romantic relationship to me. It's more of a um, hey, look, they may well end up porking. You're absolutely right, but yeah, I think it's all been leading up to them getting together. So it wouldn't surprise me if they were shipped together. Is that what the kids say? Yeah. Jopper. Um, I'm going to bring it on to the final scene of the season, which is, of course, what we now can distinguish is essentially the big bad of our universe. If we were to take Stranger Things as like a comic universe or something like that, the Shadow Demon. I personally absolutely loved this final tease. and I'll tell you why I liked it. And then I'm going to open up to the floor and say why you did or didn't like it. So... My reason for liking it personally is I love comic books. I love Marvel. I love DC. I love um, I love teases into certain villains. 
Um, and I think the thing with this this particular villain is we haven't really understood his motives or anything that he wants to necessarily do other than take over our dimension. Which or are, she. Or she. It, or it. Or it. Um, or he. But what I liked about this final scene is in 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 season in season one we didn't we didn't necessarily get a a tease we more so got a prologue to what was going to happen in season two if you look back at that epilogue on season one it was like Hopper leaving the egos out for eleven and Will throwing up slug buyers and all that shit. So we knew that what was going to happen, essentially. If you look back at that epilogue, you get a sense of what's going to happen. And, and Jonathan getting a camera from Nancy and you get the sense that their relationship's going to grow. Whereas in this season, we had a lovely resolution with the kids, mm. uh, which was great. But then there was that sinister edge to it at the end, which was just literally about a 10 second scene of, <laughs> of the shadow demon looming over the school. And I thought that was a lovely way to tease into the fact that, look, this story has ended. But there's a bigger story at play here that is going to come into effect. And it didn't tee up anything, so we don't know what's going to happen next. But what we do know is there is still danger out there for our heroes. Yeah. So I spoke to someone about this. Uh, it's not a part of this group. because I speak to other people. Um, Unbelievable. And he didn't like it. He didn't like this scene. Mm. He said, oh, well, so why can they just end it normally? Uh, which is fine. But ultimately... What Eleven does is she closes the book yes. on Fails, season two, but she doesn't defeat anything. No. It's just uh, eventually it will kick off, and part of me feels like, and I guess we'll get into predictions uh, later, but that kind of flipping it as if to say, like, look, I mean, it's still there. It's just uh, the danger isn't as uh, prominent or as relevant or as immediate yeah, uh, as it as it was in this season, um, so I had no issue with it. Um, I don't think it was particularly <clears throat> like engaging, um, but you know it is what it is. Um, I had the exact same situation as John. Uh, it sounds like I'm pretending that I also talk to people, but I really spoke to somebody. <laughs> <laughs> One person. Shall re- re- remain nameless. My Welsh friend, because he does listen, so um, he, he knows. That I'm talking about him. He said that he hated the final the final shot. And the reason that he hated it was because I'm trying to remember how he put it, but basically that it leaves no mystery in his mind. He's saying, you know, that that final shot shows like that is what's gonna be happening next season. And I don't know if I agree with that because we've seen this monster, we've seen this monster all See this whole season, and um, in the end, that wasn't the thing that was being defeated, was it? It was just the closing of the gate that needed to be done. I I liked it purely for the purpose that it meant we're probably going to get more Stranger Things, which is always hard to not be happy about. I just wanted to touch upon the fact that we've maybe missed out on uh, one of the most glorious scenes of the season, which was uh, Eleven and Mike reuniting. Mike and Eleven's reunion at the snowball is absolutely magical. Um, and we get this sort of allusion to it when Hopper says, can she have one night off a year to, to Dr. Sam Owen, who is still alive? Yeah, uh, he's, managed he's managed that. Unbelievable. Good Fair lad. Play. Fair play to the lad. Yeah. He's give, 
gifted Hopper this opportunity to actually have a daughter this time with the birth certificate that we see. And the reunion of um, Mike and Eleven at the snowball, which he asked her in a lovely way at the end of season one in episode, I think it was eight. He said to her, would you go to the snowball with me? Mm. Um, And now we get this resolution of her being at the snowball, looking very beautiful in her dress and being with Mike. Not in a weird, she creepy way. Because look at the way that John has just taken that in a bad way. No, but actually, from a, from a female yeah. and non-immature uh, perspective, she looks beautiful. Though, like, she really did. Yeah. yeah. And, and she comparison looked, she to the it. shaved she head dungarees. Yeah. She John just told me that, that she turned it up to 11. <laughs> <laughs> John, could you please talk on about that, mate? The audience have heard it enough. But yeah, so so Mike's reunion with Eleven. Um, I'm gonna swing that to Lucy. Lucy, what did you think about this? Very emotional moment. Um, I think the acting was really good, just for their facial expressions. It conveyed a lot of emotion. Um, and I think for Mike, he hasn't really been in the episode so much in the episode in the the series so much. But I thought his sort of arc from being it's like. He missing 11 coincides with the onset of adolescence and you have puberty and you have all your emotions whirling around anyway, being a stroppy teenager. And it was just nice to ha- for him to have the closure of actually going to the snowball with 11. And yeah, it was a really nice um, moment in a, an episode full of nice closure moments. But on the flip side, a really nice moment for Eleven, who is also going through probably the same hormonal changes. And, you know, that whole fight with Hopper, very Carrie-esque, as we talked about last week, is probably also quite hormone fueled, you know, at that age. And actually, it's quite nice for both of them to have something nice. I think we've come to the end of the three episodes and, and we're going to move on to predictions in a bit. But before that, I'm going to move it on to a new segment uh, that I've uh, derived just to celebrate the end of Stranger Things. Uh, especially uh, what a great second season it was. I've got a little game for everybody. A little quiz game. The game is in the honour of Bob the Brain. And I call it Bob the Brain's Big Baldo Brain Teasers. Baldo Brain Teasers. So, in this game, what I would like you to do, I would like you to shout out your name when you think you know the answer to the question. Okay? The game is very simple. It's like a music round, but with references to films. So, what I would like to happen is, I'm going to list the film, and I would like you to list the episode that it was in. Right? And then I would like you to name the scene. Is everyone ready for this game? Yeah. So, fingers on buzzers. Aliens. Gaz. Gaz got it first. Gaz got it first in Australia, in the Upside Down. Gareth, what episode and what scene? I'm going to go with episode eight. Chapter eight. Wrong. John. So yeah, so it's actually episode six. Yes. Uh, and it's the scene where all the guys go into the hive. And... John, that's two points for you. John is leading the leaderboard Three with points. two points. He gets one point for the correct episode and one point for the correct scene. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. John. Emma. Ooh. <laughs> Emma. 
episode four see with hopper in the tunnels sleeve around the face and hat i'm gonna give you the scene but not the episode john. It's... So it's episode, five. episode five john steals Contact. a point to go three yeah. one up on emma here emma got the scene john got the episode jurassic park john it's episode six and it's uh, when Steve's surrounded by the... Correct. John is stealing the show here, guys. He leads 5-1. John has absolutely nailed it there. Episode 6, The Spy, Clever Girl is my notes. Exactly the same scene as in Jurassic Park when the, the raptors close in on the hunter. Very good. Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back. John. John again. So it's uh, episode 6, uh... Actually, I think Incorrect. Moving it on to someone else. I haven't seen Empire Strikes Back. What the fuck? Who? Why are you on this podcast? You haven't seen Empire Strikes Back. That's mental. Yeah, no Gaz, no Gaz, episode six. I've already said that. Incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> this is the fucking thing, you moron. Star Wars: The Empire Strikes Back is in episode seven, The Lost Sister, when uh, similar to Luke trying to move the um, X-wing out of the swamp. No. Uh, 11 is moving the train it's very similar yeah okay i'm gonna give another easy one to everyone uh mouths on microphones as we say ghostbusters Gaz. no john got it Gaz, go on chapter two yep and um, dressed up in their halloween costumes I'll take that as an answer. Gaz, you've moved on to two points. So the, the scores of the doors is John 5, Gaz 2, Emma 1, Lucy 0, E.T. Gaz, um, when... Oh, God. All right, okay, I've got the scene. Um, and it's when Eleven is dressed up as the ghost. Correct, one point. Thank you. And that would be in... Come on, come on. Come on, Gaz, you can do this. Uh, chapter... Four. John. It's a steal from John. It's number two. It's episode two. John moves on to six. Gaz, you are on three. Emma on one. Lucy, sorry for the steal, but um, John was, uh, he was very quick on that. Lucy, just shout when you know something. It's all right. I am. <laughs> I don't know anything. Stand by me. Oh, I know it. Um, Emma. Emma. Episode. Oh, Gaz for the steal. <laughs> Let her finish her point. Um, the scene is uh, Steve and Dustin uh, on the railway tracks, and it is episode five. I'll take the scene. I will not take the episode. John. John with the steel. Um, go fuck yourself. Actually, I'm just joking. It's Gaz with the steel. Chapter six. Correct. Okay. So, Gaz, you have moved on to four... <laughs> You've moved on to that four points. John, you're on six. Emma, you are on two. Gremlins. Gaz. Gareth. Uh, <laughs> this might have been a premature buzz. John. Hold, hold on a second. All right. <laughs> okay, so the Gremlins bit is... Um, it's about... It's, obviously, it's about D'Artagnan, and it is um, in episode chapter... Three feeding D'Artagnan nuggy. Um, I'm going to give Gareth two points there. What? He's nailed it. It is chapter three, the Pollywog, where D'Artagnan is discovered by uh, Dustin and he feeds him. 
in the evening. The leaderboard is looking like this. John has six points. Gareth has five points. And Emma has two points. Poltergeist. Emma. Emma's. John. John with a steal, but Emma in first. Episode eight. Incorrect. Damn it, no, I meant. John. You don't have a fucking answer. Gaz, 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 Gaz for the steal. Gaz for the steal. Gaz for the steal. All right, so the scene is the one when Eleven is staring at the TV. Um, Ooh, correct. That puts you on six all with John. This for this for the lead. John, no. <laughs> Chapter. Oh God, this is. I've never felt pressure like this. Um, four. No, I'm sorry, Gareth. It's up to John. Two. Correct. It is two. <laughs> Trick or treat, freak. Seven six to John. The final scene. Lucy, get on the leaderboard here. <laughs> The Exorcist. John, John, John's got it. Nah, busted, you mate. And this might be for the win. Um, just, just by the way, Len, when you when you come to edit this, listen to when I said my name. It was before John. Yeah, I heard you first. Guess. Be a little cry baby, then you go for it, mate. Because quite frankly, I'm fucking sick of this shit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right, John. This is to win the game. No, this is to win the game. Emma. Chapter 9, episode where they do the heating thing to make the demon come out yeah. of will. Yeah, Emma got that right. Yeah. So Fuck you all, we man. move we move into the final leaderboard where John scored 7, Gaz scored 6, Emma scored 4, and Lucy, you did a very good effort. <laughs> Bob the Brain, Big Baldo, Brain Teasers. Right, okay, so let's move on to predictions. Guys, what do you think is going to happen in season three of Stranger Things? I'm asking the expert that just won the quiz, John McCann. He seems to know his references. He's going to reference the shit out of this. Let's cool. go. We've got, we've got to start seeing some of these other numbers, haven't we? Yeah, the numbers are coming up. The numbers are coming up. You know, I'm going to be too brutal. Eight. Is that what she was? Eight, yeah, Callie. Yeah, I mean, she can't act. Um, Not well. Well, no, or, or at all. But, <laughs> Jesus. Oh, no, she's shit. Um, I don't I mean, really care. It's the way I roll. Uh, I I think you're right. I think we will see Doctor Brenner come back. Yeah, Ooh. boy. Um, however, you know, wooden he is. Yeah, but um, hopefully he'll get a little bit more mm. uh, dynamic in, uh, in season three. I hope so because Matthew Medine is a fantastic actor. Kill one of the kids off. That might happen. Wow. Kill one of the kids. Off. They might not be kids then when we see season three. They might be a bit more aged. Yeah, I mean, I've got to echo your sentiments, Len and John. Um, Brenner will almost certainly come back, won't he? I mean, it, it would be totally pointless to have brought him up if he's not going to come back at some point. Um, yeah, go on. I think uh, Eight will will be back, Eight will feature. And um, quite. I, I don't know if there will be. <clears throat> I, don't know, I don't know if there should be many more of the numbers because you know the they they didn't all escape did they that was the wasn't that the point like they um there's only two in the rainbow room will will it be will again that gets uh that gets dragged back in he's obviously got uh, a bit of a connection to the upside down but um a bit brutal to keep taking him back there isn't it what do you guys think about the upside down not as a parallel to our world but more of a parallel dimension Right. So maybe it's a version of Earth that has been consumed by the shadow demon, like this celestial being that doesn't know how old it is. 
And it's a version of Earth, similar to comic book mythology, where there's this multiple, you know, it's Earth 1, Earth 2, and like the, I think it's the DC universe. Um, and the, basically, this is a version the of the world. Yeah, the multiverse, yeah, where this is a version of Earth that has succumbed to the Shadow Demon. And it's and, and as Dustin said in his, his manual of Dragon's Lair, is its goal is to take over all different realities. Yeah. So we know that the gate was closed by Eleven with her powers. And we know that we know that the, the the gate has been closed. So, do we think that there is any way into the upside down other than the gate? Now we have a little link to this with the fact that Will is able to tread between the upside down and our reality seamlessly, mm. without a gate. And also, you can access the upside down by digging. Well, you can't now. It's it, that, well, you assume I mean, that that network's been destroyed yeah. after well, the gate's closed. But, but he's also like Will is not the only person from Hawkins who has been to the Upside Down. Joyce no. has, Jim has, Nancy has. Yeah. All of them have now. Will has. All the kids. They went down in there, didn't they? And Hopper was all like, the kids, he, was, yeah. he was in bits when he went down there as well. Yeah, he was fucked yeah. up. I mean, he got a little bit. But of they've water all on him. got a connection. So I can safely say that we all absolutely love this season, some more than others, but overall we're extremely happy with what we've seen. Personally, I think it's the best thing that's been out this year and I'm a massive Game of Thrones fan. I think it's the best thing I've seen this year so far. Yeah. I, I don't know what else is to come and I can tell you right now, Walking Dead ain't going to eclipse it. Um, so <laughs> definitely not. But the thing okay. is, I, I don't think you can doubt the way that these guys, the Duffer Brothers, have expanded this universe in a very slight but very important way. And the way that they've really made the story relevant uh, and more relevant than we could ever have imagined. I hope you guys have enjoyed listening to this podcast. And if you have enjoyed listening to this podcast, please listen to us discuss other things. We uh, we do regular podcasts on sort of event movies like Thor Ragnarok, which we've got coming out. We've got one on Blade Runner. We've got one on It, which was out previously in the summer. We're going to be doing Star Wars, of course, because uh, it's just going to be one of the biggest film events of all time. Uh, we also have a Walking Dead podcast, which is, I'm not going to say positive. It's sort of middle of the road with a lot of negativity, but we have a lot of fun with it because the show isn't that great. But we love it because we we love the show. We love the show in terms of the fact of the characters and what it brings. And we love discussing it because it's great fun. If you have enjoyed listening to us, though, could you please uh, leave us a review on iTunes? That'd be very much appreciated. Uh, we're a brand new podcast and we're trying to find our feet in this world. Even if you've hated it. Even if you've hated it, leave it. Give us a one star because that'd be, you know, at least a review. We're also on Instagram as fan underscore critical. Please give us a follow on there. We're also on Twitter as fan critical pod at fan critical pod so please give us a follow on there we release content all the time links to our shows links to our website everything on there so if you like us please give one of those a follow it'd be much appreciated today i've been joined by uh, our very own version of hopper the burly john mccann i've been joined by uh, mrs wheeler coming downstairs in her robe talking to billy emma yeah i'm off for a candlelit bath and of course our very own will byers lucy baron so long suckers and our blessed, lovely Hobbit, who's very caring and lovely, Gareth Evans. Latest potatoes. Thanks, guys, and let's get back here for season three. Woo.